What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Virtual Coffee House. Before we dive into the episode, I just want to say Virtual Coffee House is completely non-monetized. It's completely free. It will stay this way forever. It's a way of us giving back as part of our HPMS Ventures Foundation. We host this podcast for the sole purpose of helping musicians, right? Helping music students. This is a podcast for high-performance musicians, right? We bring on career tips. We bring on college audition advice, music school tips, anything you can think of. Entrepreneurship, music business, anything to serve musicians as much as possible. Because of that. So the only way to support us is really leaving a five-star review. And if this podcast really impacted your life, you learned something, please, if you can write us a written review, that would really help us uh, for the podcast, uh, help us with the algorithm. Um, so I just want to say, please do that if you can. That's the only thing we ask you to do. It's not monetized. If you can also share this video, share this episode, share this stream. Whichever way you're listening or watching this podcast right now, we really, really appreciate that. I also want to say we work really, really hard on publishing these episodes. It takes hours to just edit the content alone. I work very, very hard on bringing these tremendous guests on the show. They are literally the best in the music industry, and I always have a passion for serving people. And making an impact on people's lives, especially those who are struggling, those who are younger than me, and those who feel so lost in their、um, application process for music schools and trying to figure out what is the best way to get in the schools they want to get into to find the music career that suits them the best. Okay, so、um, typically you will literally spend two hundred, three hundred dollars. Per hour, just to have private lessons or conversations with these guests, but I try my best to make it happen for you for free. So, I just hope I can impact as many people as possible. Another way of really helping us is to post on your own social media of what you learned from this episode using hashtag Virtual Coffee House, using hashtag High Performance Musicians. And if you are really, really struggling with your music applications right now, you are a high school music student. You want to go to music schools, but you feel lost. You can always send us a DM with your question. You can also check out my startup HPMS Venture. Just Google HPMS Venture. It will take you to our startup page. We have our coaching programs. You can also schedule one-on-one consulting sessions with us. We have helped a handful of music students get accepted into their top choices: Eastman, Juilliard, schools in Europe. You name them. So, if you really need help, definitely check it out. Now, let's get into the content. All right, everybody. This week we have a very special guest. Professor Kurt Maroki is the professor of double bass at Jacob School of Music at Indiana University. Professor Maroki, it's such an honor to have you here. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Great. All right, let's talk about way back, right? When、yeah. you first started、uh, learning music, you started on the violin,、uh, and you still play the violin. It's I saw a, a video on your.、Uh, Website. It's the media you're practicing on the violin. Technique's great. It's insane. But well, what made you switch? <laughs> well, that's the thing. You know, violin is is. 
I think the violin is one of the hardest instruments to play, uh, you know, uh, because um, for the same reason, of course, that pianists, uh, you know, um, have a lot of uh, competition. You know, there's a lot of competition on the violin. Uh, technically, it is all about precision. So if I was to compare the violin to the bass, the bass, everything is expansive. You can, you, you know what I mean? Everything is uh, bigger proportioned. So you can really go into the details of, okay, you know, uh, this is exactly what you do. Violin, it's like, okay, that's out of tune. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah. really a difficult instrument. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, it was a couple of things, uh, the pressure, you know, of competition. Um, and the other reason uh, for switching off the violin is because um, I, I just don't think I would have gotten anywhere. You know, I, I, I was thinking about going to the University of Hawaii, which would have been nice, but I think Juilliard's a little better when it comes to schools, you know, oh, for yeah. music. So, <laughs> yeah. So Interesting. Yeah. But, but for me, I, I think of like this way, right? So we have like this supply and demand, right? Yeah. And then, yeah, uh, violin is, is way more difficult, but there's a lot more players and a lot more jobs out there. And then switching back to double yes. bass, right? We, we have less players, but a lot less jobs, right? So, so how right. did you feel about that when you, when you switched? Well, you know, um, my teacher was extremely picky uh, when I went to Juilliard. Before that, uh, I studied with a tuba, saxophone, jazz bass teacher in Maui. He was basically the only teacher in Maui for bass. And he said, well, why don't you try it? And I didn't love it. I love playing the violin. I didn't love playing the bass. And so there was less pressure in a way. I don't know if that makes sense. And because of my violin training um, early on, I think it really helped my bass playing. So I, I'm always, whenever I come across bass players that have played the violin or played the cello or you know played another string instrument, they have a much broader viewpoint. So they're well you know, ahead of a lot of other people. In terms of that so uh, i think that that gives you a little bit of an advantage i think uh every string player should play the bass to be honest and i think every string player should also play the violin as uh, to see the range of of what is uh possible on a yeah, string instrument I, I was talking to a friend of mine who plays cello yesterday i was saying yeah you know you guys are, are so different than like wind players because every every wind instrument is like a complete different instrument but for strings if you look over you know for someone who never had any music experience just in terms of different sizes you know we, we have the bigger violin you have the smaller violin and we have something called viola which is like a mid-size violin right <laughs> oh those are fighting words now so well you know it, it's, it's interesting uh is there like any huge overlap between you know the violin and the bass there's a lot of overlap, and I think uh, bass players tend to separate themselves from the rest of the string family, uh, but there's a lot of overlap. So one of the major things is, of course, you know, bow control. Um, having a straight bow, really important. We teach that on the bass. It's taught on the fiddle. Um, you know, the idea that the hand is flexible and it can pivot, the idea of sensitivity. I mean, oh my gosh, you got to be sensitive to play the bass. It's not just, you know, grip it and hit it. <laughs> so it's a sensitive instrument. It can be just as sensitive as the fiddle. 
the biggest differences, the differences are, are what really separates the instrument. So string tension. Uh, the difference between the string tension is just uh, in a, a huge deal. So on the bass, it's, it's like playing on a rubber band, whereas on the violin, you just do that and it makes a sound. The bass, you have to prepare the string a bit with the bow. Uh, the type of rosin, the length of the bow, the proportion of hair width to string length is way different on the, on the bass. And of course, how we hold it. But other than that, and, and of course, tuning is different. But the rest of it is kind of the same. The way you use your fingers, you know, the sensitivity needed, you know, being able to having the right position. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's all the same. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot of physics, a lot of science. It's all physics. You can't fight physics. That's what it is for every instrument, right? Yeah. Every instrument. Yep. Yeah. Any instruments, string instruments, regardless. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah I, I, I think, you know, there's some like, younger kids listening to my podcast. I, I don't think they realize how much of a, of a learning experience it really is to play an instrument, uh, regardless of, of like what instrument you play. You know, oh, yeah. it, it ties with everything possible you can think of in life. You know, it teaches you a lot of different things. It teaches you about, sure. as we, you know, we just talked about a lot of physics, a lot of really subtle things you would apply to any like math, science, anything in life. It's fascinating. So yeah, kids out there start learning instruments ASAP. <laughs> it's like being a brain surgeon, but nobody's going to die. I like that. I like that. I like the way you put it. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. So that's that's really what it is. And the other the other part of it is um, we're allowed, you know, uh, you have to we always have to be very careful about the words we use at all times. We have to be very careful because the reactions to certain words are extreme. And these are just words. You know, the, the, whole, the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, doesn't really, that's not a modern, <laughs> you know, uh, idea. Um, so, but with music, we can say anything. We can say absolutely anything. And that's really the difference, is that there isn't that extreme reaction if we make a mistake. Nobody's gonna die if we make a mistake on the instrument. And I think that's a beautiful thing that we can connect with more people through music <laughs> than through words in a way, in a more, in a more intimate way. At least, the, and, and I think that's very important to remember is that the idea of communication is everything. That's what we do, we communicate. I never thought it like that. Um, I heard someone before I interviewed saying, you know, it's a universal language, but not in a way that it's, it makes communication easier and better. So that's, that's a very powerful statement. Yeah, I guess uh, less politics within musical <laughs> language, right? <laughs> Instead of words, yeah. There still is the reaction, but I think the reaction normally happens between professionals because Otherwise, you will either love something or just not listen to it. But there isn't that negative reaction in the public usually, unless they're reacting to a specific set of words being said or being sung. Yeah. yeah. If I don't like classical, I would just not listen to it. That's it. I wouldn't comment on it. I, right. I don't care. I don't care. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm, very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Great. All right. Um, great story. Great points. 
certainly love hearing these different perspectives every time I speak. It's so interesting, like bringing on different guests from different backgrounds and different instruments. They all have something special to say. It's, it's always amazing. Um, let's talk about the career aspect a little bit. Sure. So you did a lot of different things when I did my research. You, you were you're playing with the Chamber Music Society Lincoln Center. You did that. You toured internationally with the Sejong soloists, if I pronounce correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, play with different orchestras, ensembles, New York City Ballet, Metropolitan Opera. The list goes on, man. Um, there's a lot more, but I think that's a good stopping point before we, we, we have a, such a long list. But yeah. okay, so playing with these different ensembles, right? What yeah. are the what are the differences for you in terms of a player? Um, let's say playing chamber, playing ballet, playing orchestra, in terms of a, a double bass player's perspective. Well, uh, you know, every every orchestra has their specific sound. Every group has their specific sound, and so I think that's one of the big, biggest differences is that is that idea of of sound production and. You know, uh, again, the larger ensembles versus the smaller ensembles, as you can imagine, there's a different approach in terms of blend, in terms of, you know, the hierarchy of what people find important. Uh, playing playing with singers on stage is a, com- is a completely different animal. I mean, that is... Oh, a, yeah, talk about that. That's an art form. Well, you know, I if, I only sub there in, in, you know, in the, in the, in the opera, but uh, boy... You know, you do those operas over and over again, and you really, you really start to get a sense of timing, and of breathe. Uh, really, how the singers breathe, and knowing knowing what the singers want from it all. The one thing that's really important always is going from the score, and and knowing knowing the score. I mean, if you if you have the complete score with all the vocal parts in it, good, you're good to go. If you go in there blind and just think, well, I'm just going to follow, forget it. Because you, you really have to know the music when you're, when you're playing in an opera orchestra. Yeah. And it's all about style. It's all about style. Now, when you switch from that, okay, so an orchestra that's steeped in style, they've been playing together for years. You go from that to like a movie recording, a movie, uh, you know, doing a movie score. That's different. You're bringing in people from different orchestras. Great. They all have to compromise when they get into the recording studio. And then you're playing music that's never been written. You don't get a chance to practice it. You don't get a score. You have nothing. You show up, you sight read. That's it. And you don't make mistakes. So it's all about not making mistakes. Of course, it's the same when you're subbing in any orchestra. You just don't, you know, don't just don't screw up. That's basically it. You know, come get there early, look at the parts, don't make a mistake. But the, the difference, again, in a movie recording is precision. It's all about, you know, you got to blend, you have to do it right away, you have to have great ears. It's about what to listen to. Listen to the click track, don't listen to the room. Oh, my gosh, it's crazy. So that's that's the most fun for me. And then if you go from that to small ensemble, you're having people come in Everyone is from a, you know, a different quartet or a different, you know, a different group for the most part. Sometimes you have people that are, you know, a quartet that comes in and plays with other people. Um, so that's a different animal for me, the most tricky, because how do you find the music? How do you find the style? 
like that? How do you not argue? <laughs> how do you not how do you not get into fist fights? Because because everyone's responsible for their own part when it comes to small ensemble. It's like a, a again, it's like a, you have a bunch of strong players coming together with strong ideas. So it's about not really not fighting too much. Arguing is great. I think arguing and talk about uh, seeing arguments happen over and over and over again in the in the same way and in different ways in chamber music. People argue like crazy at the top end. Don't be afraid of that. It's great. If you feel strongly about something, it teaches you to really have a reason for your feelings, vocalizing it using words, not taking it personally. That's hard. It's very emotional. I think chamber music is much is a much more emotional experience, ultimately, in every in every aspect, much more than being a soloist. Soloist just goes up there, this is what I want. Then they get upset when it's <laughs> when the conductor doesn't do what they want. But chamber music, it's a, the greatest learning experience. Yeah, smaller group, few yep. colleagues, everyone's basically having their own parts as soloists, right? Have like four, five, six, seven, eight. You have to have you have to have something to say. Have to have something to say. That's the those are the biggest uh, biggest differences. Amazing. What are some of the tips? Obviously, you have to take you had to take auditions to get into those ensembles, regardless of you know subbing or not. Uh, what are some of your tips like auditioning with different ensembles and successfully winning different positions? Sure. Okay. So to be successful. Um, Number one, you, you have to have a sense of, you have to be decisive. Really, uh, you, do, you don't have to be, but I think being decisive really helps. Um, relying on failure to lead you forward is a big part of it. And not being afraid of, of having, if, if I fail at something, if, I'm, if I mess up and I don't get an audition, is it going to shut me down completely? You know, that's, that's, it's, it's psychological. I think the, the biggest part of it is psychological. So there is a bit, a bit of that. It's, it's about having something to say that's, that's between you and the composer, you know, having it be personal because, you know, Ida, I, I'm going to quote Ida Kavafian because I, she's one of my all time favorite musicians and, and yeah, she is incredible. Um, and she talks about it, you know, sometimes the committee just wants to have some goosebumps, <laughs> you know, Really, that's that's sometimes all the committee is looking for, some goosebumps. Something different. This person has something to say. They're communicating. I'm going to go back to that word. If you don't communicate, you don't, you don't win. You know, if you have nothing to say, then why would I want you in my ensemble? Think of all the soloists out there. Don't they all have something to say that's unique? They have to. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I'm going to quote another violinist that I admire greatly greatly i mean he's one of my favorite musicians and people it's uh, vadim glusman and he gave a class once and he said why are you copying other people's mistakes why don't you make your own i was like right if you're just going to copy someone else and you're just going to mimic what someone else does you're just you're just using other people's words you're just you know and imitation is great as a student in certain respects because you you learn from other people's um, successes. But why does that musician choose that? 
way of playing? Do you even have an answer for that? So I like to, what I like to do is I like to have a reason for everything that I'm doing. And I like to figure it out. And it may take me years. It's like, what? There's something that's missing. What is missing? I have to find that and give that to the audience. It's really that, that searching for and being willing to fail and going up on stage and saying, and failing and being like, ah, oh, forget it. This, this doesn't, this is not, not there yet. It's not fully baked. And going back to the practice room and experimenting and trying it different. Another quote from another musician I love, Arnold Steinhardt, who I think is again, oh, geez, what a great musician and wonderful person. I, I, I went up to Mr. Steinhardt and I said, I said, so when you're looking for students, what do you look for? And he said, I know how I want to play it. I'm curious how the student wants to play it. If they come in and have something to say, great. If they come in and have nothing to say, then I'm bored <laughs> as a listener, you know? So I think that's invaluable as well. Have something to say. Have something to say. One thing also you mentioned that was also very interesting and stick to me was you said, do not copy other people's failures. Um, and going on the stage. Mistakes, not failures. Oh yeah, mistakes. But going on stage to face and embrace the failures. Can you, why, why didn't you say instead of that, why didn't you say go on stage, but embrace the success or copy other people's success instead of the opposite way? Yeah. Let me let me clarify that. So interpretation really is equals mistakes. Deviating from the score. Those are the mistakes. So don't copies copy other people's deviation from the score in terms of timing, in terms of phrasing and this and that. You have to find it on your own. I think that's really what it means. It's it's because oh, okay, this like for example in the Kuzovitsky bass concerto, <laughs> it's relevant to you. No, for, for us bass players, it's relevant. You know, um, we listen to a lot of recordings and okay, then we go to perform it. First note, all everyone that comes into audition puts a huge accent on that first note and plays it fortissimo. Okay, what's written in the in the score is forte, no accent. It's Russian vocal music. It's not ka, it's ha. Oh. <laughs> now, why do we put an accent there? Because we're copying other people's mistakes. We're copy, copying other people's performances. But we haven't even, how did they get to that decision? How did they decide to put an accent there? That's really the key. So when I'm searching through the, through the music and trying to figure out how I want to communicate it, I have to ignore all of those recordings. Why would I start by copying? Why can't I figure out what I want first and then listen? And then I can agree or disagree. And then I can have an opinion. And I can clearly define what that opinion is. When I'm learning a piece, I never listen. I go from the score. I don't listen to any recordings. I think it's much more valuable to figure out how to communicate this music without a third party getting involved. Can you imagine you do what you, you're, you're going to, and, and uh, I, I personally dislike speaking before concerts. I think that's telling the audience what they should feel and think. 
rather than letting them experience it and then talking to them at the end and saying, how did you feel about this piece? Did you notice this? Did you notice that? So that they come away with it, having their own concept and then being curious about what other people think about the music as well, rather than being told what to feel. So I think that's something that we do as musicians that holds us back. And here's a great example. So, and this is what great teachers do. So my good friend, Anthony Miguel, who I think is one of my favorite musicians in the world. Oh, so we're playing, um, I'm just using his name because I, I admire the man. So we were, we were playing Schubert Octet and uh, Mr. David Sawyer was our coach at Marlboro. And uh, he was in, what an incredible musician. So Anthony has a, had a small, tiny solo in, in, the, in the Schubert. There's one small little ditty that the clarinet has by itself. So Anthony played through it. Mr. Sawyer looked at him, stopped everyone. He said, do it again, but do something. Just do something. So, I knew. so Anthony played it again and did a little bit more. Sawyer said, no, you got to do something there. He didn't say what to do. He said, do something with the music. Anthony was like, he did a little bit more. It's like, yeah, you're moving in the right direction. Do something. Like he was getting animated at this point. So Anthony exaggerated his ideas, made them perfectly clear to the group. Like, this is my idea. Here it is. No walls. Sawyer was like, yep. That was probably one of the greatest moments of my entire life was seeing Anthony go from playing it safe to then being a musician and having something to say and really saying it, not being afraid of saying it. And it blew my mind. I was like, I saw the greatest teaching moment and I saw one of the greatest musicians <laughs> at the same time, how quickly he went from playing it safe to being out there with it really saying what he felt that's the that's the answer to it not being afraid and he could have failed but he was willing to to take the risk yeah again coming back to the, the lessons i was saying about learning from music yeah it's it's i had a few moments like that before you know uh when i was you know studying yeah at the moment that it, it caught you it's it feels different than like any other thing you do in life. Let's say learning from like playing a sport or anything. It's just music is such different medium that you can, it, the feeling, I think only only if you play an instrument, you will get what I'm saying. But it, it's, it just, it hits you. It's personal. It's very personal. Yep. It is. And it's also so interesting because Anthony McGill, I'm literally trying to get him on my podcast next. Oh, he's so, great. Yeah. Oh, so sending some emails and uh, definitely will mention you. He's one of my heroes. I mean, he is, I mean, he's a, he's a musician's musician. Yeah. New York Phil principal clarinetist doing great things for the music world for sure. And he communicates. He does. He does. Which is <laughs> yeah. rare, which is rare for, for classical musicians. Yeah. I think he, he yeah. actively speaks for himself, which I highly respect. Yeah, I do too. All right. Um, one more question about career and we dive into teaching a little bit. I, I imagine, you know, going from different positions, you know, having different uh, experience with playing different orchestras, auditioning, there must be a lot of obstacles and failures as well. So yeah. in your career, especially I think playing as a, as a double bass player, right? As we've 
mentioned that there are not many jobs out there, there you know, yeah. not many players, the supply demand thing. Um, what are some obstacles you faced and how did you cope with uh, some failures in life? Oh, sure. So I'm, I'm very competitive. <laughs> I really am. I'm a very competitive because I started on the fiddle. I think also I'm, I'm very competitive. So one of my uh, one of my biggest failures is being overly competitive. <laughs> and, oh, really? And taking, <laughs> yeah. And I think taking things too seriously in a certain way in, in terms of, you know, what I feel is the right way or the wrong way to play something. So being more open-minded, I think, is was one of my biggest failures that I had to overcome. And it's by making, you know, it's the, by burning bridges and then realizing, oh, I burn bridges. <laughs> and then going in the opposite direction. So that's one of my biggest failures. I think the other thing was putting myself down too much also in terms of my own playing. Uh, I was very critical of myself, I think, because my teachers were. So unlearning that and trying to be less critical, um, there's this whole idea of, and also, uh, you know, really not, I used to, in my own practice, I used to go 100%, 100%. It's like trying to run a marathon every day. And that doesn't work as well. It's not efficient and learning to be more efficient. So the, the, good, the, the best ratio, there's this, uh, the best ratio is 80-20. Have you heard of 80-20, this ratio? It's kind of interesting. Look it up online. It comes from the business world and the finance world. And it's basically 20% uh, of, the, of the population pays for 80% of the taxes, pays 80% of the taxes. Um, as a business, 20% uh, of your customers give you 80% of your revenue. The, the, the ratio can be a little bit this way or that way, but that's basically it. You don't run a 26 mile marathon every day in preparation for a 26 mile marathon. You actually do 20%, 20%, 20% to build up so that you get 80% of results from 20% that you put in. So understanding, knowing when to stop. I would just go on and on prep five hours a day. You know, I was that type of practicer, long, big chunks. So in do it's more about doing more more times per day rather than more hours per day that's I, that was my one of my biggest failures and not being able to prepare for an audition i relate to that as well because i so my experience i i didn't go to like a so i was going to like a regular high school for the two first two years and then i transferred to idol arts academy i studied with Yudi Gilad at coburn yes um for the last two years and the first year when i got here was brutal because I had no idea how to practice. I was just like, okay, I have, let's see, we have two years here and this is my second last year here. I'm going to make everything count. So I started practicing four hours a day for, if you guys don't know, for, for wind instrument, four hours. And I, I'm saying four hours means four hours, pure four hours. Like I would That's literally a put a timer on. I will not stop until I hit like 60 minutes. Yeah. So I was just like jamming four hours every day, you know, plus all the rehearsals. I was, you know, I was playing like seven hours a day, probably. Um, yeah. And that didn't turn out to be so great, no. <laughs> of course, as we just talked about, because I wasn't thinking as much, you know, I wasn't, and I wasn't feeling that I was making progress at all That's for the right. whole year. Um, and then my senior year, I switched around. I was like, okay, maybe two, three hours a day, but I did more thinking and like what right. I wanted to do. And then I wasn't feeling pressured 
I was feeling great and I made a lot of progress in a short amount of time. So definitely agree. Definitely agree with what everything you said. I highly relate to all, all the points. Yeah. Pressure stops us. So eliminating, eliminating the pressure allows you to be, uh, you have to be human first and then the musician second. And that's, that's very important. You know, uh, it, it, we're, we're talking about, you know, first world problems here, <laughs> you know, when it comes to being a musician. So be human first, you know, find joy in life. That's very important. So you can share the joy. If we're not sharing joy, um, the last thing David Sawyer said to me before he passed away was two most important things in life are, and in music are love and joy. Because, you know, if we don't share that, why are we, what's the point of it? And I think success really is a, is a result. And, and it's, it's, it's a giant experiment. It's a giant science experiment, I guess you could say. It's unemotional. It's just an experiment. And if you end up winning something, great. What were the different aspects of the experiment that you, that you did to win that job? That's all it is. And, you learn, and we learn from each other on that. Don't be afraid to, try, to experiment. Something I'm currently reading right now it ties. I, I'm I'm I, I'm starting to develop a, a passion for reading books now, which I think is great. Everyone should do that. Uh, but anyways, I'm reading this book called um, literally "The Art of Not to Give a F." You know, um, <laughs> right? And it, 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 it basically well, the thing is, well, the title is is funny and um, you know, but yeah. the fundamental thing is talk. It, the book is talking about is literally what you just said. It's success is an experiment. It's yeah. and the rewarding part of it, it's not that you actually want at the end. It's the process of you realizing, okay, who you actually are. And then are you, are you willing to cope with that process? And then if you do, the journey will seem way more rewarding, first of all. And secondly, even if you don't win at the end, you will feel much better about yourself because you realize, you know, what's next to do and then how to improve. And if you reverse that, putting like success, the top priority over, enjoying the process then even if you get the result you know it's like a rat race you, you're always chasing new things blah 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 and then interesting they were saying if you just cope with the process accept your failures along the way then your yeah, rate it. of success it's way higher way higher anyways and you feel better so it's, it's like a reverse mind-blowing trick that right. i i realized it's it's literally what you just mentioned yeah and let me let me just say one more thing along that those lines you know we listen to recordings and then we say to ourselves, I must become an artist. And I think that's false. <laughs> be a musician, don't be an artist. What does that mean? So the public is the only one that can determine whether or not you're an artist or not. You can't determine that yourself. Allow, allow the artist to determine if you're an artist. Just be a musician. What is the, then, you, then you accept the role of being a musician. Two different things. And that's very important. So when we listen to a lot of recordings and we copy, we're trying to copy the artistry. That's go barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, you can't become an artist by copying. No artist becomes an artist like, okay, I'm going to go to the, to the Louvre and I'm going to copy the Mona Lisa. Now I'm an artist. Really? No, I'm sorry, but <laughs> that's not how it works. Monet, Van Gogh, they're artists. They don't copy anyone. Uh, misplaced focus. So if you want to be the best musician, <laughs> that's going to lead you to artistry. Yeah. 
cope with the process. Yeah. You'll get somewhere you're not expecting. There's a great video of Mitsuko Uchida talking about that. Um, <clears throat> she's right on the money. I'm like, yeah, that's that's 100%. Great. All right, let's dive into this last uh, section of our conversation here about teaching. Um, what is it like right now full-time teaching? I assume it's full-time uh, at Jacob School Music as a professor. What is it like? It's very interesting. <laughs> Let me tell you that. It's not easy. Talk about it. <laughs> sure. So it's, uh, being, uh, teaching is the, the most difficult thing I've ever done. Anyone that's ever says that it's easy, don't believe them. It's a lifelong learning experience. It's, um, it's all about, you have to be a psychologist. You have to be a uh, coach. You have to be a mentor. You have to be a teacher. You have to be all of these things at once. And you have to learn how to do all of those things. And so teaching here is very different than anywhere else I've taught. Uh, partially because it's a state school and, and the amount of students. So the ideal number of students, I think, is roughly seven or eight, ideally. Like if I'm going to say, what is my ideal number, that's it. So here, 18, I had 22 last semester. Some of them graduated. So that's a lot. So um, uh one of the most, I'm just gonna talk about some of the pitfalls. Rubber stamping things is one of the pitfalls as a teacher. So you say, you say, oh yeah, I said this to this student, so I'm gonna say it to all the other students. It's not necessarily gonna work for all students. So treating every student as an individual is ridiculously important. If you treat all the students the same way, you will have success some of the time. So, and again, a lot of teachers rely on that, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But again, that's, that's relying on a method, methodology, which is great. Um, I find that it's more useful to be um, adaptive. And you actually learn more as a teacher. You have to not be afraid of experimenting on your students. <laughs> I've learned that, that you, you're experimenting with them a lot of times. Because no teacher knows everything. There's not a single teacher that knows everything. And so there's always something to learn. Uh, being open, uh, making sure that the students are more important than you are, always important. So, you know, teaching here, we have um, individual lessons, of course. Uh, master classes. So what we do here is we do, we have, there are two base teachers. Professor Turner and I, he's amazing. So what we do is we uh, do separate master classes one week, and then the next week we come together and have one giant class and we alternate back and forth teaching that. I think that's fun. I learned from him. Amazing. Well, that's the thing. And I, we get to learn. We go out to have dinner afterwards and we talk about it with our mentor, Professor Larry Hurst. So we all get together, he comes to our classes. So I think that's very fascinating. Um, and then we also have rep class, of course, for orchestra rep, uh, preparing people for, because I mean, guess what? It's about getting a job. <laughs> it really is. So ultimately we, we have, uh, we really focus highly on the orchestral rep because that's the biggest employer of, for the double bass. How many bass soloists are there? Not many. How many chamber musicians are there? 
Not many. <laughs> okay. More and more, but still. And then we have, um, of course, orchestra. We have five orchestras here. Um, we have the early music and the new music ensembles. So once in a while, not during COVID, but before that, I used to go and sit in, um, go, go to watch rehearsals, um, sit in with the, with the bass players, things like that. So that's part of it. Um, giving extra lessons. Uh, a lot of times people are preparing for things. There's a lot of extra lessons going on. Uh, you know, but the, I have a lot of freedom to teach the way I want to teach, which is great. That's, that's basically it. Interesting. Yeah, but we have, to, we have to do everything. About, we have to teach ballet, opera, new music, early music, all of it. Yeah, I would. I remember when I was talking to uh, Professor Brandon Vamos. It's yeah, you know, and I, I spent my winter break at Indiana uh, mm. Jacobs Music because my my friend who also works with, you know, we, we work together on this podcast. He goes there for cello, and I I didn't realize until I visited how big of a program it is for music. And I, again, I think it's a wonderful school. Anybody who wants to study music should definitely shoot a shot there program is huge a lot of very great resources yeah let me just say something about large schools versus versus small schools and what the difference is okay so i recommend that all students go to a conservatory and university at some point i do recommend that um, for numerous reasons <laughs> i recommend going to a small school and a big school and experiencing the difference the pluses of going to a large school are going to be you get to see the whole range of levels. And so you see where you are. You know, it's perfectly obvious. It's like a slice of life. <laughs> you know, when it, the top students are gonna win jobs, right? So you see where you have to be. There's a great deal of playing, of, of playing for your colleagues in a large school. Can I play for you? Can I play for you? That is a huge key to success. So playing for your colleagues, even if it's just a phrase, even if it's a scale, does this convince you? Is my scale musical, <laughs> right? Is my rhythm good? Is my, you know what I mean? So wind players should play for string players and vice versa. Very important. Don't do mock additions just with your own instrument. Oh boy, is that a mistake? <laughs> Because we, I mean, you're when you're in a real audition for orchestra, you're going to listen. You're going to have people listening to you that are percussionists, that are pianists, even sometimes. So you have to convince all of them. Okay, um, and so small schools, the advantage is going to be that you have an opportunity to have reduced pressure. <laughs> You're going to have a lot more. You're going to feel like you're being taken care of more, coddled. I don't know, but you're going to feel a lot more like you're special. And that's also important for growth. So having both sides of the coin is great. And I don't look at the negatives because who cares about the negatives? If you look at the negatives, you're not paying attention to the positives. Mm, interesting. In practice and in, in wherever you are. Look at the good parts. Right. That's what you learn from. The negatives are fine. It's just sometimes they weigh you down. Mm -hmm. Emotionally, this is what happens. When you're happy, you're, the happiness and joy are fleeting emotions. You're happy for a minute, it goes away. When you focus on something negative, it sticks around 
fear, anger, sadness just linger for a, a long time. So in which we, what we want to do is capture those fleeting emotions, the ones that go away quickly. That's what we want to maintain and sustain in the music we play. One last question um, to address yeah. here before we wrap up. I know uh, you said don't look at the negatives, but I always ask this question to, I think, basically every guest I, I interview because I think it's so interesting to talk up to, you know, educators in music industry about what's missing in modern music education <laughs> and what students should really, I think, do extra, you know, actually that's not in school that will like set them up for success um, in the long run. That's a loaded question. <laughs> that's a that's a difficult one. Well, look, um, so if I'm going to be really honest, I think that, again, the, the, the idea that, um, that we remove our own personal ideas from the equation that, um, you know, if, if you go back 50 years, it was all about style. Now it's about playing the right notes in tune with a good sound. Um, and I think style, character, again, it, it's, I, I relate it to, I, I went, to, I lived in New York for years, of course, so I would go to the MoMA, you know, Modern Museum, and go to the Met. So I remember seeing basically the same painting hanging in both institutions. And going to the MoMA and seeing, um, the, this modern block, you know, white block, black block <laughs> inside made sense in the setting that it was in. And so I was like, oh yeah, that works here. Then I go and see the same painting at the Met. I'm like, this doesn't work here. And I'm left not enjoying the painting. And, you know, there's an intimacy to, to art that we miss these days. It's not intimate, it's cold, it's calculated. It's, it's um, so I, I, I find that it's, a lot of it's fake. I go to hear concerts, I'm like, oh, you know, every orchestra sounds the same to me now. Whereas if I step back 20 years, I would go to the, you know, Chicago sounded like Chicago, Philly sounded like Philly. I'm, I'm not saying this to annoy any of the orchestral musicians out there at all. I'm just thinking this is the same in, in chamber music and in a lot of other settings is that everything sounds the same. And I think we listen to too many recordings. I think what we do is we're overly saturated. And so our opinion is based upon that rather than style and character and farts in Beethoven, <laughs> you know, and humor. And I think we're afraid of feeling something for what we play sometimes. We're, we're, there's a fear involved in bearing one's soul. And I think that that's something to embrace because we're, we're really afraid of failure, I think a lot, way too much these days. So back in, you know, 20 years ago, it's, it was, it felt much more random than it does now. It's kind of like, well, oh, that person won. Oh, that person won. Oh, maybe I'll get a chance to win. Now you're like, oh, I know I'm not going to win. Or I'm sure mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, there's more of that type of them because we, we just hear too much. Interesting. So, yeah. 
Yeah, so my, my recommendation is isolate yourself. What made Haydn unique was isolation. You know, that's, that's why Haydn was, yeah. So there's nothing wrong with that, with living intimately with the music you're playing. Be yourself. Be yourself, right. Allow yourself to, to, to be an equal. And that's, what, that's really one of the biggest things about Marlboro that I found very useful was that everyone used the first name. There was no last name <laughs> used. Okay, we're all equals. We're all equals. Yeah. Be yourself. Have a voice. There you go. Awesome, Professor Maroki. Well, I certainly yeah. really, really enjoyed our conversation. I think we had a lot of great things. I got Same a lot here. of great things from you, and I really appreciate the presence. So thank you so much for being our guest. It's such, again, such a great honor to meet you and to have you on the show. Sounds good. And, uh, you know, if anyone has any questions, I, I don't mind questions from anyone. Um, you can always write to me at Kurt Maroki at Maroki.com. You know, if, if anyone has any questions or thoughts or want to yep. discuss something, no problem. Yep. Well, definitely put your email in our description. And also, you know, we what part of what I also do is we have a startup helping students get into music schools. If anyone awesome. wants to study with you, we definitely help them and put you guys in touch for sure. Great. Awesome. And you take care. You take care as well. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye.